Good morning. The reading this morning will be taken from Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 to 33. It's Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 31 to 33. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Is it on? Yeah, it's on. Uh, Happy New Year to everyone. I hope that uh, everybody has been having an excellent 2019 so far. So I have a question. How many of you guys ate a healthy meal last week? There you go. How about working out? Did you guys go to the gym last week? How, okay, this one. How many of you guys are still eating healthy and working out up to, the, to today? You guys are doing well. You guys are doing well. I hope that whatever that is that you've decided or resolved to do this year, I hope that you are met with success and that you endure. Okay, in, in the uh, in, in the name of the Lord, that's a, that's a good thing. Um, this uh, day today, being the first Sunday of 2019, I would like us to focus on something starting today that will carry us on through 2019 and hopefully beyond. And that thing is uh, that thing that I want us to focus on is our uh, walk of faith in Christ. Specifically, I want us to talk about uh, our spiritual growth, and that's really the theme that I would like us to think about for the whole of 2019, because our sermon series that we have prepared for 2019 really focuses on growing spiritually in, in God. And uh, one of the things that uh, I would like to really do is, like today, starting today, for the month of January, is really focus on something that will lead us to that, to think about spiritual growth. And uh, with a new sermon series starting today, uh, entitled Full Devotion to God. I think we're on our way to doing that starting today. Um, devotion in the online dictionaries that I consulted uh, defines it as uh, loyalty, love, and enthusiasm for someone or something. And the objective of our sermon series for January is simply that, to be completely devoted with our loyalty, our love, and our enthusiasm, our excitement for God. Um, Jesus, when he was asked in Matthew chapter 22, verse, uh, verse uh, 26, about what the greatest commandment was, what he thought was the greatest commandment, answered in the next two verses, saying, the first and greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. In other words, the greatest commandment is full devotion to God. So our, right off the bat, our sermon series is very important for us to really think about starting today. And how do we become fully devoted to God? It's like any other thing that we want to be completely devoted to. 
You can't get, we, we, we become completely devoted to something if we know what that something is that we want to be devoted to, right? We have to know what it is first. And that's what I want to do this morning. Our first lesson this morning on this particular sermon series is about getting to know what relationship we have with God. Because when we do that, then we can start really getting fully devoted to him. So this morning, I would like to talk to you about a relationship with God. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33, that's what Soren just read here during the scripture reading. God told us exactly what type of relationship he desires with people, with us. Specifically in verse 33, in Jeremiah 31, 33, he tells us exactly what type of relationship it is that exists between us and him. And I want to focus on that this morning. God said this in Jeremiah 31, verse 33, and this is, this is one of the key things that we need to know and, remind, and be reminded of this year so that we are well on our way to devoting ourselves completely to God. He said, I will be their God, and they will be my people. God and God's people. That is our relationship with him. Let's look at this in turn. I will be their God. You know, God has always wanted a relationship with man. He's always wanted a relationship with us. And that particular uh, text that we read, that Soren read for us, Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33, that's not the first time that God mentioned that. Actually, it traces back 4,000 years ago to Abraham. 4,000 years ago, God made that promise to Abraham. And we see that first in Genesis 15, verse 5. So what we're going to do now is we're going to really understand how God really wants to be our God. And I think when we understand that, it is so easy for us to really understand how being his people is one of the best, it's it's the best thing that we can ever do here on earth. So uh, Abraham, when his name, back when his name was Abram, right? The ham was not there yet. His name was just Abram, uh, was approached by God. And this is what God told him. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Back at this time, Abram was around 70 years old. And God told him, you're going to be father to all of these many people. You know, and he was like, I'm 70 years old. <laughs> My wife is also barren, like he's, he hasn't had a child. She hasn't had a child. And, my, and, and in the context of Genesis 15... He, he told God, you know, the heir to all of my possessions is this is my servant, is my chief servant, Eliezer. He's going to inherit everything that I have when I die because I don't have any kids. And he said, God said, he's not going to be your, serv- uh, your, your heir. Look up to the sky and count the stars. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. Okay? Now... With all the things that are going on in Abram's mind, in verse 6, this is what he did. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord. 
And a few years later, God reconfirmed this promise, this covenant with Abram. In Genesis 17, we see that particular promise come back again. When Abram was 99 years old, so about 29 years later, the promise was still fresh in God's mind, right? The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. Amazing, because we say that God is a covenant God, and this is it right here. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will your name be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Yeah, we sing that song, right? Abraham is the father of all nations. Okay? Now, what is this promise, this covenant have to do with us. This was made 4,000 years ago, and this is in the Old Testament. Why are we talking about it now? Well, because of this. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 7, this is what God said. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. See, when God promises something, he's like, he's the ultimate promise keeper, right? He doesn't, he, he, he keeps track of time, like he knows what's going on. It's going to be an everlasting covenant. I'm going to make this to you now, but I'm telling you, it's everlasting. So it concerns us today. How we're going to get to that, this is what we're trying to work towards, right? We're going to get to that, how this promise has any bearing with us today. So, uh, there, there's that thing, to be your God, right? He wants to be our God. That is what the covenant uh, that he's trying to establish is. So in Genesis 17, verse 8, he adds another promise to that. I want you to be the father of many nations. This is going to be something that I'm going to do for you and your descendants. And this is what I'm going to do. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner... I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And again, he says, and I will be their God. Right? This is amazing. Like, can you imagine what, what Abraham was thinking back then? He just moved to Canaan and God told, told him, yeah, you're going to own this whole land at some point, you and your descendants. And back then, the land of Canaan was huge. It, it, today, it, 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 it encompassed the land of Israel, uh, Lebanon, part of Syria, and part of Jordan. Huge place. It's like, uh, I know I'm an immigrant here, right? It's like God telling me, Jay, I know you're just moving to Canada, but one of these days, Canada's going to be yours. I know it's not going to happen, but could you imagine Abraham when God told him that? Huge, amazing. Now, fast forward 500 years later. 500 years later, God made the exact same promise to Moses and the people of Israel. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. Did you see that? I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, 
And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. See, 4,000 years ago, right? God made the promise to Abraham. 500 years later, he made the promise to the people of Israel as they uh, as they as he freed them from the Egyptians from the slavery. Now look at this. Five hundred years later, exact same promise to the to the Israelites. A thousand years after God initially promised this to Abraham, he still has not forgotten. He has still been faithful. This is our scripture reading for today. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. See, God has always longed for this to happen. And again, we ask the question, well, why? How is this related to me today? This was like this was 3000 years ago. This promise was made. This one in Jeremiah. How? Like how? Like well, how about how about the fact that God promised, you know, uh, Abraham that he's going to be the father of many nations and all that other stuff? What does this have to do with this? Well, let's look at the next verse here. Do you remember that? Uh, that well, we we need to understand that the how is very important in God's promise, in particularly in this one. God said that he's going to do all of this for Abraham. But the how, like how he's going to do it, is crucial. In Genesis 22, verse 18, we see the how. God said to Abraham, In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. This seed is the important part of the equation. This was told to Abraham 4,000 years ago. This seed is going to be the crucial part of the fulfillment of his promise to Abraham. Now, the Apostle Paul put two and two together, obviously with the help of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3.16, Paul says this, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds meaning many people, plural, it's not plural, it's singular, but enter your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. See, back 4,000 years ago, God already had this plan. Even before then, you know, we read in Scripture in Ephesians that before creation, he knew that Jesus was going to come down here. But he told the good news to Abraham first. Abraham and his seed, Jesus Christ. And so this is what Jesus Christ has done for us, for the Jews. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And if we're not yet fully there, if we're not yet really convinced, let's look at another verse. 
that this has everything to do with us. Galatians 3, 7 to 9, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. I'm going to read that again. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. That's why we sing, Father Abraham has many children. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord because of that. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham 4,000 years ago. All nations would be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Isn't that such an amazing thing that God really wants to be our God? Now, that is his part. Because a covenant takes two sides, right? There's two sides to a covenant. There's God's part, and then there's our part. There's two parties. God is amazing at his part. You know, in in Ephesians 3, we are told that he is able to do, remember that, immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. That is who he is. That's why we say that the best thing that we can ever do here on this earth is to be his people, is for God to be our God. And you know what? He invites us. He is always the first one to make the first move. Thousands of years ago, he, want, he wanted this, and he, want, he wants us to be able to do our part really easily. And that part is to be his people. Now, What are we to do as the people of God? That's the question now, right? Because we know what God has done. We've had many sermons here. We just heard the Lord's Supper. We know what he has done so that he can be readily available for us to be, you know, our God. Right? Now, to be the people of God, let's go back to the promise of God to Abraham. Let's go back there because that's our text uh, this this morning. Remember, God promised Abraham that he's going to be the father of all nations, right? And then he also promised this one thing about this piece of land. Do you guys remember that? God told Abraham, your descendants, I'm going to give this piece of land to you. This huge piece of land, amazing piece of land. That was fulfilled. Look at Joshua 21, 43 to 45. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors. And they took possession of it and settled there. And they took, uh, uh, sorry, the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. No one, not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. That's why we say God is faithful. He remembers. He doesn't forget. And it's amazing how when this was uh, leading up to this, like when this was already fulfilled, this is what Joshua uh, recounted. When the people already gained Canaan for themselves, this is what happened. Joshua 22, 1 and 2. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, 
the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything that I commanded. In verses 3 and 4, Joshua says this, For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. It's amazing, because the covenant is this relationship where God does his part, and his people do their part. God said, I'm going to give you this piece of land. But he's not just going to wrap it in like a tight little bow and gift wrap it to them. There you go, take it. They have their part, right? They did their part. They believed that God is going to give it to them, and they had to do their part. They had to carry out the mission that God has given to them. Now that the Lord your God has given them rest as he promised... Return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Now, when God has promised his people something, and God has already delivered that promise to them, what are his people left to do than to rest? Right? What are they supposed to do now? It's done. Look at, I, I love what Joshua said here in Joshua 22, verse 5. This is 3 and 4. The next verse over, Joshua tells them, look, this is all done, right? God has given you the land. This is what we need to do next. And before, I, before we go to that verse, I want us to think about the verse that I'm about to show you and see how uncannily the same this particular thing is to us today. It applies to us today. It's so amazing. So as people of God, let's focus on this today. The same as what Joshua told the people of Israel back then, after God has delivered the promise of Canaan to them. Joshua 22, verse 5. But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. Love the Lord your God. To walk in obedience to him. To keep his commandments. To hold fast to him and to serve him. And look at this. This is, what, this is what Jesus said, remember, in Matthew? With all your heart and with all your soul. Full devotion to God. As the people of God, let's love. Let's walk. Let's keep his commands. Let's hold fast to him. Let's serve him. That is the call. If we are going to be the people of the one true God, we have that partner relationship to fulfill. And Jesus says, it's not burdensome. It's actually better for us. Because if we don't, then it's be, we're going to be worse off. I have proven that in my life. And many of you have. Second Corinthians 5, 6-9 For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. What is our goal in life as the people of God? I love what Paul says to the, to the saints in Corinth. So we live by faith and not by sight. I know 
We want to pass away from this life already. We want to go to heaven. Right? But it doesn't matter. Because if we're in heaven, we're going to be serving God there. But he says in verse 9, even if we are here at home, even if we're here in the body, in our physical bodies, this is what we do. Our goal is to please him. How, as people, how do we please our Heavenly Father, the one and only God? Well, we need to know what He wants. He needs to know, we need to know what, what He wants from us. And uh, what is the key to doing that? How do we get to know what He actually wants us to do? Faith. Right? Faith is so crucial in our life as Christians. That is our part. The part of God is grace. The part of God is mercy and forgiveness and salvation. All we need to do is look at it, believe it for ourselves, take it, and have that working faith. And that's the key. That faith that Abraham had is a working faith. He did not just have an intellectual faith. He applied it in his life. It permeated his every being. This is why James chapter 2, verse 14, we read, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And in verse 17, we read, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Because faith is our beliefs at work. That is how it works. But how can we do that? What is the key? I'll leave you this I'll leave you with this one verse this morning. What is the key to really ensuring that we have this working faith, that we are able to be the people that God wants us to be? Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. And this is the key right here that I want to leave you with. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And who meditates on his law day and night. If we are going to be devoted to God, fully devoted to God, I want us to, to be the kind of people that delights in the law of the Lord. We know what that word is. When we delight on something, we are enthusiastic about it. We are excited for it. And we are humble enough to actually say, what does it say? Well, since God says that, I'm going to do it. Because I delight in the law of the Lord. And look at what it does when we do it. Verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Whatever they do prospers. Do you know, do you know people like that? Whatever they do prospers. I know a lot of Christians who are like that. You know why? Because they delight in the law of the Lord. You know, it's so easy for us to just explain away the things that God has told us to do. But if we delight in the law of the Lord, we will be like the Bereans. We will look at it humbly and fair-mindedly and say, yeah, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. Even if what I know now 
uh, I know, and then I look at the scriptures, well, what I know now is not correct because it says here it's not correct. That's how we delight in the law of the Lord. He will be our God and we will be his people. I know we're rearing to end this, but I just have one picture for you to show. And when I show this picture, I want us to have a picture of who we should really be as the people of God. Okay? And I know it's going to be a surprise to you, but this is the picture that I want to show you to like wrap, wrap this all up. That one right there. As the people of God, let's think about this horse. This is not just any horse. That's an Arabian horse. Have you guys heard of Arabian horses? I'm not a horse guy. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't really deal a lot with horses. I am amazed at horses because when I look at horses, I see muscles. Like, you see those muscles there. Amazing, powerful beings, powerful creatures. When you look at them, they're amazing. But Arabian horses are even better. You know, Arabian horses are probably the most, one of the most versatile horses uh, and useful horses on earth. It's well prized. They dominate the world of equestrian long distance racing because these guys can go the distance with little food, little water, very disciplined. And they're not temperamental. The fact of the, the fact is that back a few thousand years ago, the Bedouins of the Arabic islands had these had had their horses trained very well, because they needed them for war. They needed them to make sure that they would be stealth, but then not easily spooked, right? To be able to go with less maintenance, not a lot of maintenance, not a lot of food, not a lot of water, and to be able to keep inside the tent with the family where kids are running about. Imagine a horse, a full-grown horse and a little child in the same tent. That's what they did. That's why today, even today, if you want to train your kids on how to ride a horse, you get an Arabian horse because they will not kick your children in the face. They're, they're just that amazing. But I saw this one story. I've never been able to verify this is correct or not. I looked, and everywhere I looked, in books and in articles, this is what they say. And I, it's amazing. One of the things about Arabian horses that I read that I want to leave you with today so that we can be the people of God that we really need to be for him is this. These guys are amazing at being obedient because of their training. So one of the things that I read about their training was this. Their masters, what they would do, because they needed to have a reliable horse in the desert, right? What they would do is they would, part of their training, part of the last leg of their training is this. They would make the horse do without water for many days. You guys have been thirsty before, right? You need that water. So what they would do is when the horse is really thirsty, you know the expression, you don't even have to lead the horse to water because they're just going to go there, right? You, they let the horse go and they will go find water. And you know what the master would do? As soon as the horse sees that body of water, you know what the master would do? He would blow a whistle. And that whistle is for the horse to say, stop, don't drink, come back to me. The horse would be shaking. And it would come back to its master. And when it does that, 
the horse can now be used for war. Now, as people of God, is that our attitude towards the one and only true God? He has made a covenant with us that he is going to be our God and we are going to be his people. This morning, I want us to think about that. Think about our faith. Think about our walk. Think about our obedience. It's all part and parcel to us being the people of God. But next week, part two, I want you to look forward to this. We're going to understand the relationship between love and obedience. Sometimes we think, well, you know, many Christians today, they struggle with this. This is the relationship that we have, that many Christians have with, with God. If I don't do this, if I don't do that, well, I'm going to go to, I'm go to hell. That's not the way it's supposed to be. But next week, we're going to find out the key to understanding and being in a relationship with God that's born out of love. Thank you for being here. And if you are able, stand as we sing. And if you need the prayers of the church, and if you need to put on Christ as your Lord and Savior today, please come forward as we sing the song of invitation.